if I have a superpower, it's buying terrible exotic cars cheap enough to be safe. Yeah. Uh, and so I've, I've made a career out of that in the, uh, in the professional business and personally. So I have a bunch of cars that I bought for far less than they should be worth because they have terrible history. And even if the worst case thing ever happens, I could still retail my way out of it and be all right. Um, I will say right now, I still have my car Trek nine and 10 cars uh, because the market has slowed a little bit. So I have a six wheeled Range Rover that's utterly useless. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. First week of shows 2023. This new year, you've got goals. I know it. I've got some goals myself. And Factor is here to help you and me achieve each and every one of them. You can save time and have the energy you need to tackle everything you need on your to-do list with Factor's ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. Get Factor and not only skip the trip to the grocery store, but also skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. All you got to do is heat and enjoy. I have been getting the Factor food sent here to the studio for the last couple of months. You may have seen the ads we've done for them on the video side of the program. And Factor is great. The proteins, the pastas, the vegetables, all awesome. And no matter what your lifestyle is, Factor has the meals to help you live it to the fullest. There's keto, calorie smart, vegan, vegetarian, protein plus meals on the menu each week. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. each meal has all of the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. There's 34 chef prepared options each week and you can choose what you want. Plus, there's an assortment of 36-plus quick bites, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. I really like their uh, their strawberry banana smoothie. It's very good. It's fruity. It doesn't taste like powdery. It tastes natural. They keep in the fridge for a long time. It's awesome. Are you looking to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready quicker in just two minutes. And not that time where you have food now and when you're hungry, you can eat. It's not then you start to figure out what to shop for, then you start to figure out what to order. You end up getting really, really hungry before you actually eat, and then you end up overeating. So this is actually the better way forward. You can enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Just choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door and ready in just two minutes. Here's what you got to do. Head to Factor75.com slash Tire60 and use code TIRE60 to get 60% off your first box. That's code TIRE60 at factor75.com slash TIRE60. Get 60% off your first box with Factor. Hit the link in the podcast or video description if you don't want to remember every bit of that. Of course, with a new year, it's time to re-up our Patreon at patreon.com slash the smoking tire podcast. You can get more involved with the show. Not only can you support the show directly, cutting out the middleman, you can also get 
an ad-free listening experience. You can ask questions to the show that we will read on the air and answer for you. You can uh, get the show the day it's recorded rather than waiting until Tuesday or Thursday. Have it in advance, right? You can participate in our live streams and you can get an extra episode of the podcast every month just for our Patreon Pro Driver level. Plans start at just $2.99 a month, and you can get a discount if you get the whole year up front. Patreon.com slash The Smoking Tire Podcast is the best way to support your favorite car podcast directly cutting out the middleman, and we love our patrons so very much. Thank you for supporting us in 2022, and we look forward to hopefully a new crop of patrons in 2023. All right, folks, on today's episode of the podcast, we've got Ed Bolian of VinWiki and CarTrek uh, calling in from his home studio in Atlanta. Of course, we talk about buying and selling exotic cars, making money, losing money, whether uh, buying a cheap exotic really captures the experience of what owning an exotic car is all about. And of course, uh, in light of the very tragic news that we have lost legendary racing driver Ken Block in a sad snowmobiling accident, uh, Ed and I and Zach do 20 minutes or so on what Ken uh, meant to the world of content creators and car enthusiasts. And so, of course, this episode is in memory of Ken Block, his family, his crew, and the whole world who will be missing him. But let's welcome Ed Bolian of VinWiki and CarTrek on today's episode of the Smoking Tire Podcast. Hello, buddy. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year. It's, uh... It started off good. We had a good day. We had we had one day of good, and then Ken Block died. Yeah, and then it then it turned bad. That's right. That's so shitty. Yes, yes, it is. And it's like, you know, I was talking to Thaddeus about this because Thaddeus um, works for Ken over in in Utah, and he, and we were just like, it's not, you know, when a when a racing driver or someone who does crazy shit in cars dies doing that it's terrible but but you every time they get in the car you know that you're kind of prepared Mm -hmm. that that could happen but when it's like on vacation you know on they go on vacation for new year's and just like go out to fucking ride his snowmobile which he's done a lot like he's a a lot good rider Yeah. yeah and just like doesn't come back that's like it's. I mean, I guess it's you know same thing with Schumacher or or someone else who just does crazy shit for a living, somehow survives that, only to die in a you know a mundane and unrelated way. Not mundane, but you know what I'm you know what I mean. Like an un, not related to their in their a way sport. that is far less extreme than their main activity. Like right. Schumacher and F1 cars, or Ken like sliding on the edge of Pikes Peak. Those seem far riskier than yeah. out for a snowmobile ride with some friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ed, we're like we're you know we're about the same age, give or take. Do you remember Jim Connor one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it was such a perfect piece of content for the platform, and I think the piece that you wrote for Road and Track was perfect in the way that it described, you know, just the beginning of what today is in this right. content creation world. I mean, it was the moon landing of car content yeah you you it, it 
I think that's exactly right. It, you know, I, I hadn't watched it in a very long time, and I, I was asked by my editor, Mike Guy, to write this piece for Road and Track about 35 minutes after getting the news that Ken had died. Right. And I was kind of like, oh, God. I mean, on top of the, the horrible news and processing that, and it was like, it was like, oh, now I have to generate content about this and generate a piece of content that will somehow do justice to his life. And so I, the first thing I did was I, I went back and watched Jim Connor one, which actually was a little harder to find <laughs> than, than, than you, you know, the, it, well, it turns out that that word is quite SEO gold these days. So it's actually, <laughs> yeah, so it's actually, and it wasn't, it's called uh, DC Shoes Gymkhana Practice. Oh, yeah. Right. right? And, it, and, it, and it brought me back to when I first saw it with JF and Spinelli, uh, and it was like, what what is he practicing for? Is this a exactly. sport? What this is, what is, is an is Allen the... Iverson moment? Like <laughs> yeah. this is practice. What what is yeah, the like, Super Bowl of doing that? Yeah, it, and it's like it's it's four and a half minutes long. The video, right? He doesn't even do a trick until a minute and five seconds in. So there's this very sort of drawn out, sort of slow opening opening sequence of him just like starting the car and like kind of slowly driving out of the warehouse and um you know and he and he kills a set a tire a set of tires a minute for three straight minutes. Uh, they even include the definition of the word Gymkhana. Which was the, needed back then which was never we never heard of it. Right. You know? And uh, and and he didn't invent the concept, and actually the concept goes back to horses. It was almost like a like like ro- it's basically rodeo. It's basically an old uh, word for for rodeo with horses, and it's applied to cars, you know, like barrel racing, or right. out and backs, and that kind of stuff. Um, but it, to to go back and watch it now. And and just watched little bits of it and go, well, that's the first time anyone did that shit. You know, that oh, yeah. shot where he does donuts around the Segway, the mm-hmm. moving yep. Segway, that was like, that was a holy shit Moses from the mountaintop kind of thing. Like, thou shalt do a thing that is very, very dangerous without a trophy at the other end of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there's no podium. It was just, just him doing this stuff. Yeah. It yeah. was unbelievable, yeah. And then to, to continue it in, and step it up every time had to have been just such a daunting prospect of, uh, of, of content creation. And I love the Jim Connor files and everything that Scotto did to, to help us to understand what really goes yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah. And, and to, to, to one-up himself, you know, every year for 14 years, um, and, then, and also to, to somehow make a business case for that um and not just a business case for like little people like us you know like a business case for for global brands and a business case for somebody that was already operating at a scale that was seven eight nine figures um is is really really amazing uh stuff um and then and then it's like then he went and raced in the w imagine Never driving a race car until you're 35 years old 
and getting to WRC from there. When the fuck has that ever happened? Yeah, I mean, most of those drivers start when they're six. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's crazy stuff. Well, he had, you know, a foundation of action sports in like the hand-eye coordination and kind of that physical ability, especially for motocross. Motocross riders, racers, usually translate to four-wheeled motorsport very well. Um, But still, like he had to build that foundation. And I think he just, it speaks to how much training he probably did because he loved it. He loved it even when he wasn't doing it. He just couldn't afford it. Yeah. I mean, that was that was a rich guy who knew knew how to spend his money properly. He, yeah, he did. He did the stuff yeah. I, I would probably Absolutely. do if I didn't actually need to earn any money anymore, you know? Yeah, built the cars, did it himself. I mean, just tried to figure out, you know, exactly what the envelope could be when there wasn't an envelope to start with. Right, right. Did you ever meet him, Ed? No, I uh, paths crossed several times, but never got to spend any time with him. But uh, I mean, everything that you hear is that who we saw was who he was. Yeah, I mean, he was very uh, uh, you know quiet, thoughtful, uh, not not attention seeking when when outside of the car. Um, you know, really let let the driving do the talking most of the time. But he always made time for people. He was always very very nice. I mean, he was. I, I never heard. Of, I've never heard him being me about him being mean to anybody ever, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just just super super um, sad when uh, when someone like that uh, dies in such a su- sudden and unexpected uh, way when they clearly still had a lot you know left on their plate to to do you know he, this this dude was not retired by any means no definitely not um, and and of course had a young family and and all of that so it's there's so many levels of the uh of of how sad it is that he's that he's gone yeah well and um, seeing that post that he made yesterday uh about his daughter's Audi build finishing yeah for being 16 years old it just it, you know as a parent it puts so much into perspective of you know not only the body of work that we're creating for our own legacies but you know how that impacts the generations to follow and and what he's done that all that his family could never understand what he's done for people like us that were so inspired and uh just so impressed by by the work that he's done yeah i mean uh, you know i was uh, i'm a little it's not that i wasn't in, inspired obviously i was inspired by what he and scotto did together on a on a content perspective and and inspired by how hard he pushed the, the the driving my like inspiration for doing this job was more from top gear but anyone who's like five or more years younger than me and was not yet creating content when jim Connor one and two came out that was such an inspiration for people to get started to do that kind of stuff i mean it all of a sudden it seemed like the it it shifted to like uh, sanctioned dirtbaggery you know in in cars like spinning your car like the car not being a shiny tool that you would bring to a, a car show or 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 show off and instead became just a machine for you to do this sort of artistry and and well he and, took you know, he was a skateboarder, and like skateboarding is basically about expression. So is snowboarding, and, and, and unless you're doing a slalom race, like freestyle snowboarding, half pipe, it's like, how do you think you can go down this particular slope in the coolest way? Right. And when I watched him, kind of, I watched him kind of one before I ever saw drifting on the internet, and I went, what the fuck is this? Because I was skateboarding in college, 
And then I saw this, which combined my love of cars. And it's like, you can do that with a car on tarmac. Like that's, it was like, that's allowed. And it basically threw open this door of like, well, this, this is not drag racing and it's not road course. And it's clearly just kind of for fun. And that totally inspired me as to look at cars in a different way. And I think what's great about him creating the Hoonigans and what they have, the torch they've carried is it's just like bring everyone from every circle of cars who just wants to have fun in whatever way they want to have fun mm-hmm. and everyone gets along. Yeah. And that, that's what was so cool. Yeah. It's... And I think that's, that's where it fit the context so well as a content creation product. You know, it was something that had no context. Nobody had any expectation of what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. You're just suddenly in it because somebody sent it to you and you're like, that is exactly what I want to happen every time I open up YouTube. And, and I think that when we were transitioning from traditional print and cable television towards, uh, you know, streaming or online model, you know, there was, it took a long time for people to figure out how to use the opportunity to have that much audience exposure and engagement and everything like that and what was necessary and what wasn't. And so yeah. it was a guy we didn't know in a car we didn't understand doing something we hadn't seen in a place that didn't seem appropriate but it was all okay and it was all awesome. And you continue that through however many, you know, Travis Pastrana just finished, I guess, 12. Um, and I mean, it's it's unbelievable to see what it became and how, how much it grew. Yeah, well, it was like the first time, I don't know if I had ever seen motorsport for, like, for lack of a better phrase, direct to video. You know, it was like you had uh, rendezvous in Paris, right? And you had things like you know the Cannonball Run and 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 movies that were loosely motorsport. But it was always, you know, even on on that on YouTube before I, I'm back now, Zach. Thank you. Was it was like. There were clips of races. There were car-related clips. There was like street fire and street racing, oh, yeah. and some drifting and best motoring. But it was never like an entire type of motorsport that was created just to be just for the video to exist. The video was was it. It wasn't just a video of a race. It was about the creation of a motorsport video. And I think that was the first time that that was ever actually done. Yeah, that's a good point. Wait, was it 08? Was that when the when November eleventh, two thousand and eight, was Jim Connor okay. one? So that was also just a couple of years after uh, Dustin Worlds and Dotto stopped doing mischief, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was very in that vein, right? Like it was something. It was like very grassroots. Very nobody knew what we were doing until we were done with it. Kind of idea, right? And uh, to me, it picked up that torch because that was you know a platinum selling DVD at Circuit City type thing. Yeah, and and this was shout out to in, Ferretti yeah. too because he was doing Super Speeders DVDs in 05 and 06, actually. Yeah. Absolutely, and yeah, the mischief shit and and the early gumball videos, but like, yeah. but yeah, but those were, those were like, those were like antisocial. They weren't. It was. It was. Look at this crazy shit we're doing on the street. Ken didn't do that. It was. It was. It was real rally driving, but. It was a, it was closed course and mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't sketchy. He 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 made it um 
he he made it legit. I think you know. Well, when you're putting a wheel off a dock, it's sketchy. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, it's it it eventually became uh, the pushing of those limits uh, with the locations and and that kind of stuff. But I mean, the first one, the first one was like, oh, look what we can do with an airfield and some. I mean, it was literally cones. Like yeah, it was yeah. an airfield in cones. It wasn't, and, and the Segway was really the iconic thing. There was also two other things that Ken invented that don't really that haven't in all the in all the tributes have not been talked about. In two thousand and five, uh, before YouTube, I went to visit my friend Matt Figliola in Tuckahoe, New York, at his shop AI Design. And I, you know, you probably know AI because he did he did a lot of shady cannonball stuff for people. He built right. Alex Roy's M5. Yeah. Uh, he built a car for me, uh, or modified my Mini Cooper with some very sketchy cannonball esque modifications. But I went down there, and I saw what I really believe was the very first matte black car of the modern era, and it was oh, yeah. Ken's CLS. 55 2005 by AI design and I genuinely believe there it is I genuinely believe that that was the first modern matte black car and Ken had AI do it for him didn't one of the e-circuit guys have a matte black 360 yes but that was two years later and he fucking rattle canned it <laughs> yes, yes, I, I know it was. It was not our our new. Was it was Ken's I, car painted or was it wrapped? No, it was paint. No, oh, there we go. AI painted yeah. it. Yeah, it it was. Uh, and it and and I think that uh, that really started the matte black. And Brad from E Circuit, I remember that car. It was the, one of the nastiest three sixties ever. But Absolutely. it was that was a couple years later. And the other thing Ken invented was the YouTuber face. Ken straight up invented the YouTuber face. That that was directly yeah, him. That's true. And no there one did know. it better. Yeah. Nobody that's true. It's Can't, just something I, that we now do when we when we don't have much of a chin and we don't like the way our face looks when you catch us in the midst of us saying something. Yeah, we take it for granted. Ken was the only I read the Hoonigan uh, Center Card brand guide for how to make a YouTuber thumbnail, and Ken was the only person on the team that was allowed to wear sunglasses in his YouTuber face. Everyone else had to take their sunglasses off, but Ken Ken got to keep them on. Oh, and the flat build hat. Dude, I mean, w- before 2008, were Subarus associated with flat bill hats? I don't think mm. they were. I think they were associated with lumberjack shit right up until Gymkhana. Absolutely, yeah. I, it's it, mm-hmm. there, there are so many things. Now, the interesting thing, I don't know how much Wheel Pros paid for Hoonigan, but I wonder if it became more valuable than DC. Oh, mm. that's interesting. I don't... I don't know. That's a, that would be a good question. If he if he was able to to cash out on that level twice, that would be um, that would really be something. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's uh. It's it's. Well, let's we, see. DC shoes was sold in '04 for eighty-seven million dollars. Yeah. Um, which adjusted for inflation. Inflation is, is muy bueno. Is very very good. Yeah. Um. I don't know what Wheel Pros paid. Neither do I. I don't think it's public. Yeah. Um, 
football. Obviously, we had a lot, uh, a lot planned to talk about with Ed today, and then, and then this happened yesterday. And so, even though most people that are not uh, patrons uh, of our show won't hear it until next week, uh, because we've recorded a little bit ahead, because I'm traveling. Um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely something that I've been thinking about for the last uh, the last day. And and if you want to read more, and um, I, I did write a thing for Road and Track. Um, glad you enjoyed it, Ed. And um, you know, uh, it's something we're all going to be thinking about for a very long time. And um, I I I don't want to I don't want to spend our entire show talking about it today. But it definitely um, changed the mood of. Uh, yeah of of the day the week and uh you know even even the year and you know condolences to ken's young family and to scotto and the whole uh hoonigan uh enterprises uh team um it's it's uh it's very very sad and um i'm sure the brand will live on but but man what a loss yeah absolutely um so yeah uh (laughs) sorry ed you picked a you picked a great day to come on the show. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Well, no, I mean, there's there's nothing more fun to talk about than people who have made a mark on what we do and who sure. uh, whatever even it is that we do. But uh, I uh, I appreciate you having me. Well, aside from uh, aside from Ken, that's a good that's a good place to start. Where who who would you say were your biggest influences? Was it uh, Brock Yates and Hal Needham, or was it uh, where where did where did your biggest influence come from? Yeah, for me, it has to be, you know, Yates and Clarkson. I think that the ways that they were able to take communication and mix it with cars, I think were most inspiring. Mm. And the fact that they were creating things that, you know, particularly with Yates that that went into politics, went into things that weren't enthusiast driven. And, you know, with Top Gear being the only car show you could ever get your girlfriend to watch with you, you know, that was such a different product than, than was uh, otherwise available. And so... I think that, but then also, you know, the idea that now I'm accidentally been making YouTube videos for five years, you know, puts me in a different place in terms of the inspiration because it was guys like you and Ferretti and that dude in blue and Shmi that have been doing it for five to six years longer than we had and and to, to really pave that path. I mean, I remember talking to Demuro the first day. He was like, I, I might make $10,000 this month making YouTube videos. And I thought, it was a Wolf of Wall Street moment. It was like, you show me a pay stub with 10000 <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah That still yeah. just sounded crazy. And so what it has become, you know, in the way that it grows every single year, uh, to me, is, is unreal. And looking back on the journey, yeah, it, it points back to those guys for sure. Well, with with Vin Wiki, I think you actually mastered something that I started, which is the micromanaging of the uh let's call it the hot side of the turbo right you know the the um the only way to 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 make money is to maximize your output and minimize your spend and so for you to figure out uh to take one you know two or three hour interview with someone and cut that into 10 or or more videos um that have uh a, a a virality and uh, a controversial uh, opinion generating you know quality to them um, is is very very savvy uh, and I certainly respect that kind of uh, thought that goes into that uh, process I appreciate that for a very long time 
set our record of the most stories shot in one sitting. I think it was 13. I think, yeah, it was 12 or 13. We did, we did in like three hours, right? Oh, man, you just sat down and just, you know, pumped them out. And, it wasn't hard. You, you know, fed me some whiskey and fucking spooled my ass right up. That's, that's, the, that's the trick. That's the trick. But but I think, you know, it was Who has the record now? Just wondering. You said for a time. But did someone beat I, me? I Ferretti did an unbelievable day once. I think yeah. he might have beaten you by one. And then Tamarian did 26 in two days uh, <laughs> late last year. Yeah, Tamarian's uh, got stories. Shout out to Curated in Miami. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And so that was fun just because you've got so car dealer stories tend to go a long way and it's they, there's there's no shortage of them fortunately but you know when we did a reunion of the old cannonballers back in 2016 and they had a panel on the stage and the goal was to have each of them introduce themselves in about 90 seconds and I don't think any of them spoke for less than 15 minutes and Spinelli was hosting it very in I mean, you just. Oh, I love Spinelli, but he does not have the horsepower to shut that down. <laughs> no, no, it was it was a it was a train wreck, but in the best possible way. But what it showed was these guys hadn't had anybody other than their bored grandkids to tell cannonball stories to right. for decades, and somebody asked them about it, and they were not going to let go of the mic. Right. And there are so many car <laughs> stories like that that maybe you get to write about them, or maybe somebody, but. At the end of the day, they don't make it as far as they could if they're packaged alongside other fun car stories and then just put out there to live forever, I suppose. And so right, that right. was really, you know, the inspiration. And I'll be honest, it was something that Alex Royce said. It might have been on your podcast or somebody else's, but somebody had asked him to tell the lot of evidence story. And uh, his that, response that sounds was right. Yeah, I think that's from our show. Yeah, a long time ago. And his immediate response was that takes about eight and a half minutes. Do you want me to tell it all? And I was, and I looked at nobody in the room as I was listening. <laughs> Who on earth knows how long their stories are? And Someone who's told them many times. That's going to take about uh, eight tenths of a gram of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got a tight no tenth. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think so professional <laughs> comics and Alex Roy know exactly how long their stories are. Yeah. That's it. And and so I just thought that, all right, that's brilliant. He's He spent some time refining it. And when I wrote my book about the Cannonball record in, I don't know, 2014 and 15, I realized that a story about three sweaty guys driving really fast for a long time and not getting into any trouble wasn't all that interesting. And so I had to open it with related stories from mm -hmm. the car industry that would relate something to whatever a little bit of drama was going to happen in that leg of the journey. And so I had kind of packaged my probably 10 best car stories into a, you know, something that, you know, I, I could at least tell succinctly and had the details that mattered and kind of had a payoff or whatever. And so I was not a professional storyteller by any stretch, but I just, you know, had, had spent some time on it. And so we were kind of ready and looking for a way to promote the VinWiki app. And that's what became of it. The, um, it's funny because like when I came to visit you, like I was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Like, it's funny that that became a record number of stories at the time because I, I walked up your stairs to your little studio above your garage and I was like, I don't. I don't really have any stories. I was. I hadn't. I hadn't thought of it. And and I don't know. Whatever it was that you uh, 
that you asked me or spun me down whatever road. It did uh, turn into some. Do you find that the best performing videos are ones that reinforce people's opinions or counter their opinions and draw controversy? In general, it's it's. I think the way that the internet works today is that success comes from reinforcing opinions that people already held. I mean, that's the way, that's what Facebook got into so much trouble over. But yeah. I think that- Shout out to the know, chaos machine. Have you read the chaos machine? No, but I will oh, check you it need, out. Yeah, you need to read it. It's about, it's just a, it's a book about how when you value engagement over everything, you end up in a world of problems for society. Uh, and and you just described it in one sentence, but you'd probably be interested in the whole thing. And, oh, the uh, science yeah. is fascinating. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Go on. Sorry. No, exactly. But I think that when we look at a piece of content that's likely to be successful, hopefully it is somebody's reputation or resume boiled down into an entertaining and digestible, you know, 10 minutes. Like mm. that's really the goal is if, if, when you say that you love cars or when you say that you enjoy doing something in cars, like tell me what that is in something that happened. Not really. I don't want somebody to tell me their resume. I want them to tell me about the most interesting day of their life in right. cars. Right, and when right. you, when you actually figure out what that is, you end up, even for the storyteller, helping them to understand what it is that they love about cars. Because we say that kind of thing, like, oh, I love cars. Well, that means something totally different to you, to me, to everybody else. And the more that we can understand what that is and invite sort of the diversity of that sentiment, I think the the more entertaining we're going to end up being. Yeah, that's true. And I also think with your sort of short format versus this long form format, you know, with the podcast, what we've found, if you could boil down the, the success into a, just a, an alliterative sentence, we say famous or familiar, right? It, because it, it, they, the audience doesn't want to meet new people that haven't been verified. So they either want someone they've heard of and to see how Zach and I interact with someone who's got their own level of success and fame, or they want the familiar, which is just me and Zach talking about our own lives without anybody else. But with your format, um, the name of the person and whether they're famous or not, whether the people have heard of them or not, it's actually that that goes to the background versus the headline of the story, which allows less uh, uh, less heard of people to get real traction with your format. And I find that interesting. I appreciate that. And you're right, because I'm only asking them for 10 to 15 minutes of their time. You'll be asking them for an hour or more. And I think you, you've got to sell that by who it is. Obviously, we've never really put the name of the person in the title or the thumbnail. Uh, you know, in, in rare occasions, we've had storytellers that have told 10, 20, 30, 40 stories over the last you know five, six years now that we will do compilations and things. But we've had a couple of guys that you would absolutely have never heard of. And they're usually good old Southern boys that have something to do with, you know, the car <laughs> business or whatever. And they are amazing storytellers. And it's yeah, captivating yeah. in the way that if you sat down next to two people at the bar and one was telling the other one of these stories and you just happened to be there to listen to it, you'd come away super glad that you spent the time in that seat. Yeah, and it's there's something about an accent. You know, whether it's Southern or, 
Cockney or Philly Goomba or like Super Jersey. There's something about when a story is told in a vernacular where some of the words are like adjacent to standard words, but like not, you know, I, I love this podcast called Are You Garbage? I talk about it all the time. And it's just these Philly Goombas and they, the way that they, te- they could talk about fuck, li- they can and do talk about the most mundane shit. And the turns of phrase keep me really engaged. And I think, you know, if you've got these Southern types, you know, deep South car dealers, Man, they could tell a story that otherwise is not particularly interesting, but just the little turns of phrase could keep you so engaged. That's it. And, you know, I know you've been experimenting with short content. I have as well. And we don't, and nobody knows what on Unsuccessfully. earth could do with it. <laughs> exactly. Because it's not really a thing yet. But I, it definitely seems like there is a push there. But we're still talking about it. Well, not only are we taking it from your hour to my 10 minutes, now we got to be. 40 seconds yeah. and make it worthwhile or interesting or whatever. And that's, it's a lot easier for the people taking an Instagram post and turning it into a short video rather than us taking an hour of somebody's best yeah. stories and taking it down into something. You know, yeah. Our, so I, you know, I was talking to our, 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 we have a, a small company that does some social media work for us just because Zach and I are oftentimes, together we're the only two people here so like if (laughs) we're off on a mountain somewhere like we can none neither of us is there to do it so but and i go yeah so you you know you want us to try to cut down this this 10 minute video or 14 minute video into into three or four minutes and they go 45 seconds and i go do you know how hard that is? Like, what? I can't even. I could barely say this is the 2021 Lamborghini Aventador Ultimate. That's like 11 seconds. Car good, <laughs> turn well. Like, like what much gas. Fuck? You know, like what am I left with? I, I just don't. Uh, you know, I hate to be like Ooh, the ADD generation because, like, I'm a victim. I'm not a victim, but like, it affects me as well in my attention span. But like. Fuck me, do I not want to make that content? <laughs> right? I actually did an experiment because I, I normally do a thank you to all of our sponsors around the end of the year. And so I tried to see if I could shout all my sponsors out in a coherent way in 30 or in 60 seconds, which is kind of the maximum. How many did you get? I, I got all 13, but it usually took me like a minute eight. And so it took some refinement to get down there, but uh, I finally got it done. <laughs> Yeah, take 74, and you're just like, kill me. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. But at the other end, you know, we're talking about VinWiki, but but you guys have also managed to find, you know, quite a bit of success with the Car Trek thing, um, which obviously is inspired by Top Gear. um, And you don't. You know, you've got some money to make it. It doesn't, you know, I, I know what this kind of stuff costs, and it, it costs something, but uh, it, obviously less than Top Gear has, but still you manage to uh, find something that, that that pulls in really solid numbers and and resonates with people. What do you, uh, what do you attribute the success of that format to? And, of course, Car Trek 9 uh, is out right now. And that one on your screen is uh, Car Trek 10. So our Christmas special was a oh, feature-length single episode thing. 
I guess uh, I, for- I forgot. We talked to Freddie before Christmas, mm-hmm. and there was another one coming out. Yeah, 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 right. Ten. Correct. Yes, yeah. we did ten of them in three years, which was, you know, it, the total opposite of what we just finished talking about is taking long content and making it shorter. I mean, <laughs> this was actually us like, all right, almost as a, and I don't want to sound cheesy or overdramatic with it, but almost as a stewardship of the audience's attention. Like, if they're giving us a way to earn a living and pay our bills by making internet videos, then we owe it to them to make the best thing we possibly can. And for hopefully for that to be the most organic and you know proper expression of why and how we love cars. And again, like I said, with all the Gymkhana films, like as a body of work, I love what Car Trek has become because it was exactly the fantasy that I grew up having. And it was this, it was a product of Auto Tempest as a sponsor saying, you know, look, we love what you're doing on a daily basis. If we up the budget a bit, what could you do? And me and Freddie were sitting around the fire outside and uh, we said, you know, why don't we do cheap car top gear challenges? That sounds like the greatest thing in the world. And then we did 10 of them. It's, uh, it's, do you think that the success of it has been the, the relatability of the cheap cars, the, in the individual, uh, writing of the episodes or the fact that you have three independently successful people uh collaborating and 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 shoving their audiences all together onto one platform that's a good question i think that the the fact that we each have an audience who knows who we are was extremely valuable for chemistry because we didn't have to spend five bad seasons making people understand who we were what we liked how we might react in a circumstance they already kind of knew that you know tyler makes the bad decision so we don't have to freddie believes he can fix anything even if that's rarely proven exactly to be the case i'm gonna go buy some stupid car with a bunch of credit and that's probably the worst example of something really really cool and stretch the rules and and end up somewhere and and when we all come together we're we're going to have a lot of fun and hopefully the audience can enjoy you know kind of being along for that ride i think it was the right type of content at the right time we, we shot the first one uh right when people were starting to say COVID, and then we uh have been releasing them through a time where people were demanding higher quality longer form content we may be moving away from that as a direction, you know, in terms of some of these platforms, but it felt like it was the right thing to do in the moment. And it's, it's just been a way for us to actually be having as much fun as it looks like on screen. And as you know, somebody who does something that everybody else dreams of, it's fun sometimes, but it's also <laughs> not all the yeah, time. And, and yeah, it, it can be very stressful and it's, it's not always fun, but and it has to look that way. But the one thing that really surprised me is that, you know, you guys buy your own cars for that series. And sometimes those cars are expensive. Quite often they get fucked up during the filming. Um, I mean, not that you need to give away your tax returns here, but like... How 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 does that work? I mean, because you, you, this is this is time consuming stuff, and I, I and I do you know I me and Freddie we chat about budgets and stuff like that. Where we we have we're we're enough good enough friends where we can have those kind of conversations, and and they know that that doesn't leave you know leave our little text message thread. You know how does that math work? 
fortunately, the math works because of the way the whole world has worked in the automotive economics is that the cars don't actually lose much value. And that was sort of the the genesis of the conversations was because the, the idea of what we could buy for the same price as a new C8 Corvette was the first car trek idea. So figure a $60,000 budget. And that was about, you know, kind of the size of car that we could afford to buy without a need for it at the time, assuming almost all the money would be there when we went back for it. And so uh, Freddie and Tyler lost a little bit of money on theirs. Freddie was trading towards something else. Tyler's always losing money on cars, so that's just what he, what he does. Uh, <laughs> I, I made a good bit of money on the Gallardo, but I kept it for a very long time because I loved the car. I just ran out of room for it eventually. Um, and then we went cheaper for a good bit. So two was the most appreciated supercars on earth. So it was, a I think Tyler paid $14,000 for a CL65. Freddie bought a $9,000 Maserati. I bought a $29,000 Vanquish, uh, but it was a 03 Vanquish. So it was easy to sell for more than that when we were done. And then Freddie actually insisted upon buying it from me. And then he sold it to Tyler. So then we did uh, the first Christmas one was cheap cars, $1,500, $2,000 cars. So we've done a lot of cheaper ones. The most recent one was the most expensive, uh, or Car Trek 9 was the most expensive. The Pebble cars. Beach one. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Freddie wanted to drive his McLaren. Tyler had already bought the 458 because that was exactly the kind of car that Tyler was going to buy for his channel anyway. And so I was really the one that was sort of put out on that one, and that was okay. But it was it was problematic because I had to buy a car for $100,000 to $140,000, about the same price as a new Z06. That wasn't a Z06, wasn't a Gallardo, wasn't a McLaren, wasn't a Ferrari. And so that really left me with, uh, you know, an NSX, an R8, or a GT3. And a GT3 wasn't going to do anything in terms of, you know, uh, appeal to camera. I'm not a huge NSX fan, so the R8 made sense. But all the terrible condition cars, the premise being wrecked exotics for the price of a new Z06, they were all too expensive. And so I ended up buying an actually very nice one. Wait, the terrible, the wrecked ones were too expensive, so you bought a nice one for even more? Well, no, that was the same money, unfortunately. Oh. So in most cases, you know, you expect that a car with a bad Carfax is 20% off of a retail value. A car with a branded title is 40% off. And so I was looking at Lemon Law buyback cars with multiple accidents on Carfax that were still 130 or 135 grand. And I bought a perfect one with 60,000 miles for that. And it was a 2017 oh, B10 yeah. plus R8. And so I, I wanted to buy an eighty or $90,000 one because that would have fit just perfectly, but they weren't that because we were buying them early, early this year or, or early in 22. And uh, the, the prices, prices were still very insane. high. Yeah, so yeah. that was the most restrictive buying process. And usually that's where a car trek premise comes from is that somebody finds the perfect car and then we kind of buy around that as mm. uh, for the rest of them. So like for instance, Tyler found in Japan a manual transmission 456 GT. And so that was the perfect Ferrari for the price of a Toyota Camry because it was like 40 grand. And so then the idea became, all right, well, what other two Ferraris can you buy for the price of a Camry? Because that's about as cool of a video title as you could possibly imagine yeah. know, when you think of the Car Trek series. Yeah. Freddie bought that awful 308. <laughs> yes. Yes, he did. He It was literally the worst 308 imaginable. It was fucking trash. Did he? Did he actually trash that? Where did that thing go? Does he still? He doesn't still have it, does he? The car wizard bought it. Hoobie's mechanic bought it, um, and <laughs> uh, and it and that single video of him buying it gained him sixty thousand subscribers wow. in one day. 
Uh, wow, that's more than crazy. Any of us have ever experienced, but um, yeah, that was a, that was a good fun one. But then we needed a more modern car because the 456 wasn't going to get any clicks as a thumbnail car. Nobody cares about a 308 for you know modern automotive YouTube, and so we sure. had to have something newer. And I, I mean, I had some really, really terrible, like 430s and 360s. Well, we'd already used the 360 in Car Trek 1, so it had to be a 430 or newer. So I ended up buying a flood title 599 for more than the budget, but offsetting it with some profit I had in a car that I was going to trade just so we'd have something more modern and more fun. I mean, that's why you got balls, man, because I can't imagine going that deep out of pocket in a car I know is a shitbox, you know, <laughs> for for a paycheck, you know, where I where I might not get the money back for the car. I mean, there's a there is a possibility. I mean, not, not you're a smart buyer. You're, you're you've been in the business a long time. You know, you're not I you're not going to get totally hosed, but. But the possibilities there, you could get totally hosed. I mean, if you buy this piece of shit and you blow the motor during filming or something, some something catastrophic happens, you're on the hook for that car. You know, I I, I can't I mean, have you ever have you ever been like, hey, Auto Tempest, I bought this car for your production and it's now fucked. <laughs> well, it, it, that has that is not usually a concern for me because if I have a superpower, it's buying terrible exotic cars cheap enough to be safe. Yeah. Uh, and so I've, I've made a career out of that in the uh, in the professional business and personally. So I have a bunch of cars that I bought for far less than they should be worth because they have terrible history. And even if the worst case thing ever happens, I could still retail my way out of it and be all right. Um, I will say right now, I still have my Car Trek 9 and 10 cars uh, because the market has slowed a little bit. So I have a six wheeled Range Rover that's utterly useless. <laughs> and, I have a, uh, and I have this R8, which is lovely transportation. But every time I want to drive a nice car, I just grab a Mercy. R8s are not great for um, YouTube. YouTube doesn't really give a shit about R8s anymore. You know, I, 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 I understand your rationale for buying it. You just did it out for us, and that and it makes total sense. Um, yep. The McLaren and the Ferrari, you know, were taken. Uh, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's too bad because they're lovely cars. And you and I are both tall. Were you 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, you're yeah, tall, right? Yep. Yeah, when you're 6'5", an R8 is the best car in the world. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a Huracan that you can fit in every day. I mean, it's lovely. <laughs> um, it, it, it is. If it was the only car you had, it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and I had tried really hard to buy. Uh, there was a GT3 that floated around a lot early last year that was mint green. And it was just wholesale to wholesale transaction because there was this homeless person in California living in it for so long. And it, it was full of clothes and dirt and trash and everything else. And they had tried to wide body it at some point, so it had mostly been repainted. It had. Like I think I was. Uh, was this on fucking Switch Cars Doug's Instagram more than once? Yes, it was. Yes, <laughs> he went on kind of a crusade against yeah. the dealers that were trying to pretend the car was actually okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember for, this. <laughs> he he only went public with that car after my like fourth unsuccessful attempt at buying it because it was it was great, but it was one hundred and forty thousand dollar. 2018 manual gt3 that kept selling for 180 uh because people didn't understand how bad it was that's so uh, funny and it, it ended up at audi jacksonville and i think they eventually retailed out of it but uh jacksonville where good cars yeah. go to die 
That's it. <laughs> <laughs> they retire there. Jacksonville, yeah, I mean, oof, God help you if you're, if, you're, if you're over there. Amelia Island is nice, but the rest of it, yikes. That's it. That's it. Well, congratulations on your new car. It's all broken oh, in and so ready to rock, great. isn't it? It's so great. Oh my I god! Love it's so about that. it's so crazy. Like it just it drives so great, you know. The it it now has an engine in it that is the kind of thing that that uh, that if you just it's the kind of thing Porsche should be building, you know, with that chassis, but they can't for a variety of reasons. Um, and just the color is so great, and and it's uh, it's very satisfying. To uh, to have a, a brand new Porsche that's also you know got this crazy motor in it and and uh, Zach had a go in it uh, the other day and it's and I realized you didn't have quite enough of a go we, you need to have a dry go also because it was a little damp when you were driving it that's and true you were a little nervous because yep. it was cold and wet and it was our first day but when, Zach needs to have another go when it's dry I will gladly you- accept that invitation. It's so fun. Did you get a license plate that says two takes since they had to make it twice? Oh, damn, that's good. That was a good one. There was people were suggesting uh, lost at sea. That's uh, good. People, that's good. there was some, there was some good, some very good suggestions. But you know what, Ed? Mermaid. I'm a dealer now, so I have dealer oh, plates. Look at you. Yeah, the best, the right. best. I am now, right. I am now in the land of plenty. <laughs> there you go. There you and go. I'm never going back. <laughs> it is D fucking lightful. <laughs> I just I love that you know after a career of driving everything, you were really able to narrow in on exactly the car that ticked all the boxes for yeah. you, and and it was a little off the beaten path. Like it's not something that people immediately assume. Somebody who you know the world's their oyster. They're going to figure out what to buy. Is that's where they end up, and I'm I'm proud of you for finding it. I wouldn't have necessarily thought of it until I tried it. When I went to Rick Demand's shop and I drove his car, within five minutes I went, "Oh, this is this is the thing. This is it. It's yeah. uh, just stop the presses. We're getting we're getting in the game right here." And you know, I'm not a. a there's, I, I'm not. It's not necessarily like this is the last NA spider. Like I, I hesitate to use things terms like last of anything because you never know when they might change their minds or the regulations change or like Porsche. I think will figure out how to way to like mainstream EV their cars and and keep gas powered GT cars because people love them. Um, but it was the kind of thing you know. And you know, because you drive new stuff and old stuff. If you're if you're the kind of person that's always chasing the the next thing, you're you're ne- you're in that cycle forever, right? Um, whereas I like my old stuff. I like my '80s cars, and I like analog and and this this Boxster Spider with a stick shift and a key start and single zone climate control and straps pulls to open the door and a manual top i mean it 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 just feels like um it 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 will always be like it is right now it won't it won't tech won't age it out you know and and that's what i love about a car when you, when it has a permanence to it and and like my E46 M3 or or whatever where the tech might move on but it just it will always be this 
And even if stuff gets faster, it will never get less fun because it's so engaging and fizzy. And that's what I love. That's very well put. Yeah, the car is so quintessentially what it is, and it's not trying to be what it could be you right. know, in the moment. It's it's not a 918. Right. It's, it's exactly what it is. And, and I that's a very good way to put it because, you know, I had an LP640 and a Scud for a very, very long time. And I, I felt like that was really the perfect two-car combination. But while a Special and a Pista, you know, came out like that – that meant a lot more to the Scud than it did as an Aventador or an SVJ came out in the to the Mercy. Right. And so I was able to sell the Scud and not miss it, but I can't possibly imagine not having a manual transmission Mercy. Especially, I mean, they have to be stick, right? Because, and, and I learned this, I mean, it, it seems sort of obvious and, and a lot of people get this concept, but when I converted my Vanquish to stick... You know, that flappy paddle gearbox was a piece of shit when it was new, and it only got more shitty as other stuff got better. And when I first drove, when I first drove a Ferrari 458 with a dual clutch or a Porsche with a PDK, you went, oh, oh, paddles are like good now. Okay. All right. Uh, so those single clutches, whether it's a 360 or a 355 or an Aston Vanquish or a first-gen Mercy, those started to feel extra shitty real quick. And it was like, you know, a, an old an old brick cell phone or a, a Palm Pilot or just really outdated tech. And then we took that thing out or took the mechanism out and they put a shifter in it and it was just like aging curve stopped it just immediately yeah. pulled it out of the aging curve and it's gonna go okay tech will move on but this will feel like this forever and it's no longer relative to the other cars around it and that yeah. was such a magic moment i'll say that there are certain cars like like an enzo or a mercy sv or a scud even to an extent a good 599 that as a single clutch sequential feel very of the moment and right. it makes you feel then uh in a as nostalgic as we want to be about cars 15 years old right but i i think that there is a part of it where that i because i do have a an e-gear sv because the manual wouldn't be five million dollars but <laughs> i um I, I i like it for that i still prefer my manual cars no question but I, I see when I'm there, I'm like, all right, well, when I was 16, this is what I, this was the dream. And, you know, I wanted to, to still hold on to that to an extent. Well, yeah. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with wanting a specific experience from a specific right. period in your in your history. And there's nothing wrong with with going saying that some of those paddle shift systems are acceptable. You know, they're, they're they, you know, like they I've strive driven, for acceptable. Yeah, I've driven five nine nines and I've driven, you know, the later four thirties and I drove an Enzo once and they're they're acceptable. Um, uh, the, the Mercy SV acceptable, um, but it 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 doesn't it's not you're never confused into thinking it's not an old car. Whereas Correct. if yeah. when I get in my E46 M3 or a. Uh, it, it's 15 years old, but aside from the lack of car play and the fact that it starts with a key, they could be selling that today. 
you know, in a lot of the same ways. And it, and it, and it, well, because that engagement that we love from yeah. good manual transmission cars is kind of how we judge new cars with manuals. We go, is right. this a good one? And it still compares to a good one from 10, 20, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. really like that. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, you've driven, you, you've driven a lot of shitty versions of uh, very exotic and collectible cars, because that's kind of your shtick. But having been in the business, you've also had the taste of great examples of those same or equivalent cars, right? Yep. You've driven you've driven a great Mercy and a and a bad Mercy. You've driven a great Gallardo and a bad Gallardo. You've driven a great great Astons and bad ones. Um, I have I have two because I worked in the rental business for a while and those cars were super beat. Yep. Um, you know. What is your, you know, what are your thoughts on actually forgetting YouTube and and the idea of I bought the cheapest blah blah blah. We we get it. That works. That's a formula that works. But like if you if, if you're not making videos and you really and you really just want to you go, oh, "God, I want a Mercy, but I can really only afford <laughs> you know the shittiest one out there." What are some of the real differences that you see between the experience of driving that that cheap beat one versus a great one? You know, to me, it comes back to when you're when you're around cars you can't afford, you develop presuppositions about the owners and how you feel about them. And whenever I was uh, selling cars, I was a dealer for Lamborghini, McLaren, Aston Martin, Lotus. What I couldn't stand was these cars that would be driven a few hundred miles a year and the owners that had to have them looking perfect and things like that. And so to me, what I wanted, more than I wanted to own the cars, I wanted to feel so comfortable using it that nothing would stop me from taking it wherever I wanted to go. And so it meant that I didn't mind miles or bad history or bad condition if it allowed me to have the car that I otherwise could not afford or wouldn't have been able to justify hurting if I owned one that was too nice. Mm. And so I love cars that have been hurt or cars that have bad history that are maintained up and drive really nicely today because you don't have to worry. Uh, and so that's, to me, it, there are people who, when they say they love cars, they mean like Matt Mormon, they like having it in their garage, having it perfect, spending the time you know, avoiding their families so that the car can be exactly what they want it to be when they think about that car in its best form. And for me, it's having the highest mileage manual LP640 in the world because I, I want to be able to drive it anywhere. And I drove it in the rain today to go get a haircut. I'm going to drive it down to Florida next week for a road trip. And, uh, you know, I, I don't care that it might eventually be worth nine figures or uh, sorry, uh, uh, seven figures. Not nine figures, but that would be nine figures. Yeah, yeah. So, not, I don't mind. It's going to be worth seven figures. I just know that I, I want to have the worst one so that I never have to worry about it. And then I bought the worst Roadster too because it was available. When, but so you're, but you're talking about miles, right? Like, yeah. but sometimes the worst is like, like Tyler's four five eight that he bought for Car Trek. Yeah, that's a piece of shit. Like that's a straight up shitbox. Like it has brakes on it that were wor that are intentionally worse than the ones that came with the car. You know, like I I've driven 
you know, back when it, when when I was working at the rental company, and I went from I overlapped rental company and and press cars a bit. I had started my journalism career, and I and I had driven. It, rental cars that were the same, you know. There were, we had a we had Gallardo uh, LP five uh, sixties and and stuff like that. And I was driving and and C six Corvettes, and then I was driving the press cars, and the 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 press cars. I mean, it, they really just felt so much tighter and more refined and and smoother. And and I kind of went, oh, all right, I see what you're. You, I never felt again like with the rental cars like I was getting the full experience. That's true. And if you have the means, as the Ferris Bueller would say, you should go out and buy the nicest example of whatever it is that you want. My experience has been when it's all credit anyway, I can get 80% of the experience for 60% of the money or less, and that's a great deal. Yeah, And I have a lot less sensitivity to depreciation there. I'm just worried about maintenance expenses and repairs. And so it was always such a stretch for me to buy them uh, that it's it's tough. And I'll be honest, uh, you know, as some of them have gone up in value, you know, for me, based on my age, based on what I like, based on everything about what the car is, a, uh, a Veyron Supersport is really like it. And so I was about to trade about half that picture for a really nice Veyron Supersport last year. And so the Red Mercy was gonna go, the Green Mercy was gonna go, the Spiker and the R8 were gonna go. I was just gonna keep the Black Roadster and uh, the Project cars in the back, and I was going to have this car. But it, it honestly didn't feel right because the car was so perfect. And like, if I showed you the pictures of the accident that Red Mercy was in, it was, the whole front's off of it. and. Uh, it was repaired well, and I love driving it now. That Spiker is actually a really, really nice car. That was an accident. Missy Elliott's mom misdescribed it to me when she sold it to me. Uh, but you know, the misdescribed it. Yeah, misdemeanor described. Yeah, she said it was. She said that it wouldn't run, and that she had no idea how many miles were on it. They hadn't seen it in five years. It had never really been serviced. There was just a lot of hair on the deal, and so it was one of these things I had to buy totally blind, and I got a really good deal on it, and it turned out that it was immaculate, 2,300 miles. They had just never really driven it much at all, but that's an awesome, awesome, very timeless car. Spikers yes. are the best. Um, I yes. love Spikers. Great they purchase. were the fucking coolest. They're so nice to drive. Yep. It's it's so weird. A lot of those boutique cars, you know, they don't work out for one reason or another. Um Spiker, who who knows why they couldn't get any traction? But um, the very second they finally the last dealer dumped the last new car, they shot up in value, and people all of a sudden appreciated them. Um, and and every I've driven three or four different Spikers. Every single one of them was awesome. They're so, They're so cool. Fun. Yeah. There's nothing like it, and it's people call it a poor man's Pagani, and that's very accurate. And Spiker's that's only actually mistake. not far off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? That's fine. <laughs> Pagani's yeah. three million dollars. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. But there's only like 266 cars ever built, and they have so many features like center lock wheels and inboard pushrod suspension and louvered fenders and a functional roof scoop and exposed shift linkage and aircraft switches and all this stuff that you know you just can't find anywhere else. And I, I've always loved them. I've tried to buy several, but like you say, they just kind of got out of hand. And so I needed one in a very difficult circumstance. 
and I still haven't been able to buy the uh, spider that somebody ran over and killed somebody with in Japan. Well, and and you have a La Violette, which is even rarer, the hardtop. Yeah, and it has yeah, tiny chains, and it's uh, they're great. The the only issue that we had was getting the wheels off because they were massively, massively over torqued, and that took uh, <laughs> tearing up some things. But we uh, we got. Oh, I know that stinks. Oh yeah. The uh, if you ever if you ever get slightly bored of it and need a little extra go juice, you know VF Engineering makes a supercharger for this car. I have heard that it is wonderful. I um, drove it. It's got 525 horsepower. It shoots fire, and it is the coolest thing. And it's just a bolt-on. It just you don't have to do any other mods to the car. Oh, that's great. It's I, I real cool. I have to cool. think about that. The car is so pleasant to be in. You know, 400 horsepower isn't as much as it felt like when we were kids, but, oh, man, it's just so nice to be in the car and, and, and take it anywhere, and the visibility is great. I can fit in it. You know, it's just it's a, it's a fun one for it's sure. It's a stunner. Who can service that thing? Uh, fortunately, you know, we were a spiker dealer, and so there are two mechanics that worked at Motor Cars of Georgia while I was there that now have their own shops, and they're semi-retired, and so they can do anything that it needs. Uh, most of the parts are Audi-based, you know, mechanically at least, and mm -hmm. so um, there are certain things, like there's a little bitty crack in the roof panel on mine that's really not very replaceable, but there's a guy in the Netherlands that bought most of the tooling and most of the spare parts, and so, like, when I broke one of the center caps, he sent me one because he had a bunch, and so... Um, you know, there's a culture of people that want to make sure these things last. And Spiker's only mistake was that they entered the U.S. market in 2006 and seven, and then the world fell apart. And so mm -hmm. they had all these cars they couldn't sell. The tires that were original on my 2009 car were from 2007. So they had planned to sell enough cars to run through the tires they bought from Michelin, and they just didn't. And yeah. so they, you know, the cars were 300-ish in 06, and then they dropped them. So mine was 225 new, which was still, though, more than an LP560, more than an F430, yeah. um, more than a 997 GT2. So of all of the cool performance cars that it would have been against and where it was a little bit slower than, it you know, pro it was it, it was a difficult value. Uh, but now they're but awesome because nobody bought you them. Know, now, now 10, 12 years later, they're they're more valuable than basically all of those. Oh, for sure. I mean, sure. they're more yeah. valuable than than almost any Gallardo variant. They're more valuable than almost any Ferrari 430 variant, uh, except like a, you know, delivery miles stick shift car might, might be more, but even then, maybe not. It kind of goes um, back to what you were saying before, Matt, about... Uh, you know, converting your ass into manual, like it future proofs because like this has, yeah. th like you said, this has all these characteristics that if they were in a market in marketing materials right now, everyone would buy the car instantly. Like yeah, aerocraft switches, exposed shift linkage, like all these sexy things that what the T thirty three and T fifty they have well, some it, of them it, it, right in the middle of this race. Uh, between all the supercar manufacturers to get the latest technology that was still kind of in its infancy, Spiker, you know, went the other way. They went hardcore analog, you know, exposed shifter linkage. The and the does yours have the airbag wheel or the fucking propeller wheel steering wheel? The only cars in the U.S. that had the propeller wheel were the press cars. Oh, uh, okay. And somehow they got them through. So. No, mine has the Gallardo. Yours has wheel. the Gallardo steering wheel. Yeah, yeah. The, which which it's kind of the. I mean, I understand they they need it's. There's worse wheels than a Gallardo wheel, but that original wheel was the fucking shit. That was the propeller wheel was like, 
I mean, it was like, it, that shit was like Baron Von oh, yeah. Munchausen. You know, look at this look, interior. That's so sick. Oh, I mean, it's God, a, it's so sick. And then look and at the- And it's a 2009 the, car. I mean, yeah, it looks look like at the it's- Yeah, wow. the recycled Gallardo wheel in the other picture. Yeah, yeah that's, what so are you that's gonna what do? mine- You know? Yeah. I don't, mine doesn't have that cool stitching over the airbag. It's got the one like the brighter red one. But yeah, apparently yeah. mine's the only black over ruby red. I think that's the- sister car to mine but that one's right hand drive mine's left yeah. hand drive but yeah they're so cool now you got to help me find the chrono swiss watch for it oh um, the chrono swiss watch so yeah. i don't think they're that valuable but i mean obviously i gotta have it and no, so I, 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 yeah, yeah you, I, i'm not one for matchy matchy with the car and the watch normally unless yes. it's like freddie's car where uh where the watch can unlock the car that that's a pretty cool uh jlc uh, collab, but yeah, the Chrono Switch Sp Swiss Spiker watch was pretty cool. Those are fucking rad. That's a great car. Yeah. Whew. But yeah, I mean, that's always been my experience is that you could pay up and have the nicest example, or you can buy one that's, you know, uh, terrible and, and still enjoy it almost as much, but, you know, have a better story to tell and, and save a lot of money. I mean, I took the nicest manual LP640 uh, on earth. I had the Rosso or the Verde Ithaca car that uh, a billionaire in Seattle now has. And I had this gigantic loan attached to it as they really started to go up in value. And I was able to make $135,000 on this car that I had put no money down on, but I was oh. able to buy the worst possible example of the car for 120. So I went from having a gigantic loan on a car that I was scared to hurt to owning outright a car that, yeah, it had been crashed by a drunk 15-year-old who was working for his father-in-law who was an Iranian terrorist drug dealer, refugee in Canada. But they, after it was fixed, it was a lovely car to own and drive. And, and I had the title in my drawer. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not an apples-to-apples -apples experience, but I loved that car. Yeah, I mean, it... it I I know what you mean. I mean my 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 Ferrari 328 has many stories. <laughs> it's not it's it's not a salvage, but but there was some real uh creative maintenance that was done with this thing and um but I will say that that once I put the resources into getting it back to where it should be, the odometer is still high 44,000 miles. The paint is not original, but mechanically, uh, it's where it's supposed to be. I noticed the difference, you know, yeah, and so sure. it. I would say, you know, saving money by paying for a high miles car with stories, but that has actually been gone through and, and feels and drives like it's supposed to, as compared to like, you know, some fairly janky, loose feeling, you know, garbage that you get for cheap you know is uh is uh it's it's worth it to to have a car that feels like it's supposed to feel because especially with cars from the 80s so many people told me oh it's from the 80s it's supposed to be shitty they were just shitty and like it wasn't true at all like it wasn't even close to being true right <laughs> like these things were expensive for a reason it's not like people were totally stupid in the 80s like Oh, exactly. Yeah, we did a car swap thing for Car Trek 9 where I drove, a, I mean, a proper million-dollar downdraft Countach. It was a 5000S. And, you know, no, it's it's everything you dreamt it could be. Yeah, they're great. 
they're wonderful they're tiny inside of my sure. you know shoulders against the ceiling but i uh i you know could absolutely spend real time in one if i cut cut the roof off of it was it was it a uh it wasn't was it a low uh a uh, a low boy car was it a no if it was a 5000 s probably not probably had the right no, yeah it was a euro car that was imported and yeah but i mean it's only a inch different in the low body cars but it's uh hey listen a- when when you don't have the inch <laughs> trust me the inch makes a difference that's that's a, that's a shirt my head my head brushes i don't have the hair and my head brushes yeah. on the the ceiling of mine we're going up to to visit donnie tomorrow because we're doing not just the the once every five year major we're doing like the 20 year major on mine oh, where okay. we uh, we're doing the shocks the brakes the bushings the cv joints we are um reseal taking apart and resealing the entire engine um, it's a big one. Valves, yeah, it's all good. the things. Yes. The, uh, it's a valve adjustment, but we've already done. It's the car had the uh, the stainless valves done um, okay. before. So thank God. I mean, in my car, that's the valves is fifty Gs. So like, oh, thank yeah. God we don't have to do that. Um, but uh, it's a it's a big one, but it's it's worth it because um, you know that car has appreciated a lot of value, and I want to keep driving it. Um, that's it. it. And when it runs, and you were, and you got the union, great. Yeah, you can't run the union without having your car. <laughs> the Kuntash Union, yes, for sure. <laughs> the Kuntash Union's uh, bargaining power has been slightly weakened by the uh, economy, but <laughs> that's fair. That, that's fair. The negotiation of top salaries is not nearly as easy as it was two years ago. Uh, yeah, it's true. If you collect more Kuntashes, do you get more voting power? Yes, it's one per Kuntash. Yeah, because yeah. they always because when they want to book one, they they ask about the color. So you gotta have you gotta have two different colors. You double your bargaining it's like power. Board seats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zach, do we have anything on the Patreon for Mr. Bolian? Indeed. Of course, if you want to ask questions of our guests, patreon.com slash the Smoking Tire Podcast. That's the way to do it. Check out our show live. Ask questions on the show. Get an ad-free listening and watching experience. And, of course, an extra podcast every month. Uh, Let's see. Ed, Tom Rosenbaum says... Uh, any chance you want to have another go at Cannonball Glory? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, no, I do not care to have a go at Cannonball Glory. I have had a lot of goes at Cannonball Fun since then and had even more fun. Uh, so I've done it in old cars, cheap cars, bad cars, and it's it's never a bad time when you drive New York to L.A. Uh, we did it in a rental Camry last year and had a blast. So it's... Uh, it's always something, but uh, to go for it from an outright record perspective is is well beyond my personal uh, care factor and what it would take. Uh, I mean, the the latest attempts have thirty five plus scouts, and they're in <laughs> whoa eight hundred horsepower cars with a mission control system somewhere with a room of people watching everything, and so it's it's not the same game that me and Alex Roy were playing ten years ago this year, uh, but. It's, uh, you know, it's it's an amazing, you know, community to be a part of. And I've had all the fun in the world. You know, it's interesting that the resources that it takes to to do it in, in what you've just described. I wonder what what do you think Brock 
would feel about that because the original cannonballs were to protest the 55 mile an hour speed limit and and the the ethos was that a prepared driver in a in a capable car could do it uh much faster than that safely but once it starts requiring teams and spotters is that i mean and and I get it. It's a hobby for people. And knock you know knock wood. So far, uh, it doesn't seem like anyone's been hurt doing this. Um, uh, 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 but but do you feel that 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 is above and beyond Brock's uh, vision for Cannonball? Well, he did set a pace time in a van and then bring a Ferrari Daytona and Dan Gurney. To the first real race so so what are you uh, saying no just anything any anything at your disposal is that what you're I, saying? I, I think it very much isn't anything goes kind of idea uh but I, I think that you know everything that brock started in the spirit of what it is you know we've just done the best we can to keep that going and i think when i look back on the last decade of sort of being at the helm of it I, I think that the community that we built, the the excitement of all of the other in motorcycle records and EV records and coast to coast to coast records and all the other things that people have been able to claim to attach themselves to the idea, I'm really, really happy with. Uh, I know that there was always, uh, you know, a, a very justifiable position that Yates held that if it wasn't, you know, 71, 72, 75 or 79, it wasn't real cannonball. And I don't care what you say. And, you know good for him. He did it and we love what he did with it, but you know, we're still here inspired by what he did. And I still, I think in the same way, you know, 10 years from now, if somebody's sliding a Subaru around an industrial park, if they want to call it Gymkhana, they should go right ahead. Yeah. Um, Lucas uh, Taradis, uh, predictable question here. I like you both and subscribe to both your channels. Take this question as genuine curiosity. When you do longer format videos, such as Ed's Car Trek and our All Cars Go to Heaven, do you ever feel any shame for so blatantly ripping off Top Gear? No, I don't at all. I don't. I own, because I, I'm not apologizing or hiding it i it is it is an absolute ripoff of top gear because it was the thing that i dreamt of doing the most and i if if you asked me what i could be paid a little bit of money to go out and do it would be that over and over and over again and that's why given the opportunity that's what we did yeah i i I've, it's never bothered me either in the same way you know ask you know, if Elvis Presley was around, would you know you ask him if he felt bad ripping off, you know, Southern blues people. If you ask ask Jimmy Page if he if he you know ask any musician if they feel bad uh, coming up with a riff that is evocative of the people that they were inspired by uh, growing up. I mean, if I were to write a song on a guitar right now, it would probably sound a lot like a Pearl Jam song and like. Why? Because like that's what I love listening to, and so you just end up uh, creating something that is that is shades of of that. And Top Gear was such a dominant format for so long that any show that is fun with cheap cars, um, they didn't invent that, by the way. Magazines were doing that before Top Gear did it on video for many many years, and so. Um, but yeah, and then Chris follows up. Is there any something, something, anything that someone can do on video with the cars that wouldn't be considered a blatant ripoff of Top Gear? And I would say Ken Block and Jim Connor. That would be, that would be one. 
right? Yes, I, I would agree with, and that was you know probably the most beautiful thing about it is how unexpected it was. And uh, Top Gear developed a formula, and it, I mean, look, three guys presenting cars is not a you know intellectual property that cannot be violated, but it was uh, it was definitely something that inspired a lot of us, and it's been a whole lot of fun to to try to emulate it. And anytime somebody says we haven't done a terrible job of it, I feel pretty pleased with myself. Yeah. Uh, Greg Scott said, uh, dis- despite the fact that you just said you have no interest in doing another cannonball, if you did, who would be in the car with you and what car would you drive? Uh, I think that the AMG superiority is still absolutely a thing, even though the Audis did really well during COVID. Um, I have done a lot of uh, cannonballs and rally driving and things like that with Arnie Toman, and I, uh, he's the guy who beat my record and has it now. And we're great friends and he's, you know, uh, wonderful. So I think he'd be the first call for sure. Just he's, he's a lot better at looking through stabilized military grade binoculars than I am. Uh, Michael Cosgrove says, uh, what is your realistically obtainable dream car at this point? We talked about the Veyron Supersport, although that's, I don't know if that's good consumer advice. But you're you're operating on a different level with four fucking mercies, so <laughs> I don't know. Well, and that's the answer is it's mercies, and that was a real existential problem for me because when I bought my first one, I didn't know what to set goals about. Like you know, everything that I had done was really trying to figure out a way to afford a mercy, and then I got one. And so for me, the mercy Elego was always just everything that I love about cars in a car, and so that's. I got three of them for that reason. And if I only had one, that'd be fine too. But I kept telling other people to buy them and they were buying ones that kept going up in value. So a couple of them came up and I had to keep them. I feel you. Uh, Andy in Colorado says, uh, when calculating your rate of return uh, and figuring out what cars are profitable, what are some things that may surprise those of us not in the industry? Oh, he's talking about buying a car to put in a rental pool. Uh, Any specific cars that are outliers in being good or bad rentals? Are you renting cars right now? No, but I, you know, had an exotic car rental business that I started in college and ran for several years. And it was really understanding the economics of ownership there that served me most in selling cars when it was hardest, right? So 2010, 11, when nothing exotic was easy to sell at all. Uh, you know, what I learned running the exotic car rental business from 2006 to 2010 was that the average mile mm-hmm. that I put on a Gallardo or a 360 cost $5.70. And that was all in with maintenance, insurance, expenses, consumables, depreciation, everything. And if you go out and look at Turo, that is not how much they cost. <laughs> and uh, Turo is an, an arena for people who have good enough credit, but not enough math prowess <laughs> to avoid making the decision of putting their cars out there for rent. Um, you can float you're a payment wrong. a long time. Yeah, but you're is. not wrong. <laughs> and, you know, it may be if you have more cars under warranty and you turn your fleet faster, you could do a little better than the depreciation that I was experiencing. But the problem is, you know, you're if you're doing that, then you don't have the right financing to be legal. You don't have the right insurance and everything else. And so it is a tough, tough business added to the fact that it's now effortless for people to steal your cars and get away with it. Uh, so there is um, I, today I would never be in the business. I pity Rob Freddy and I enjoy the stories that he continues to have of the nightmares that it entails. But I 
uh, I'm glad to have gotten out when it could still be considered a win. Yeah, it's a very tough business. It's a very shady business. If you really want to make money there, you just you you can't you almost can't do right by by every customer and make money, you know, and and if you love the cars and if you want to spend time driving the cars yourself and that's part of your business plan, oh, it's going to that's going to be fucking brutal. You know, one thing I learned when working for the rental company was you know, getting a paying extra for a car that has like certain options, not worthwhile uh, paying extra to get call it a 911 turbo versus a Carrera was not was not worth it. People are looking for a badge and really the cheapest way to get into that that badge um, manual transmission cars. Don't even try it um, there. You're that's a recipe for disaster. Um, let's see. Under the cuff, Matt. Uh, I feel like I know the answer to this one. Ever thought of modifying an EV to do the cannonball? If so, what would you consider? No. That's a fucking hard N-O. Although there are EV uh, leaderboards, I believe, right? Correct, yeah. Edmonds uh, did it right after we set the record, and it was exactly half the average speed. It was like 49 and change. And it's gone down a lot because the technology in EVs has massively improved. I think that the best right now uh, a p100d non-plaid long range is the one to use but i no i mean i, I think a I, lucid a lucid air w- uh, range would probably take that do they but charge yeah, it you fast? can't use the they charge it they charge it if you can get to the 350 kilowatt chargers they could they charge faster Okay. If you get, if you can use, if you can f- locate 350 chargers, if they're in the right place, mm-hmm. and if they're running at the speed that they can run, a Lucid has 900 volt architecture and can charge at 350 kilowatts. Um, so that's the one. But modify? Fucking hell no. Imagine no. trying to modify one of them things. Take weight out. The Just fuck out of here. Out. Not happening. Um,. Let's see. Travis says, I'm going to just use the second half of your question. Travis, what advice do you give to others about cars, but rarely follow yourself? (laughs) Oh, there you go. I don't know. I I try to put my money where my mouth is. And I, the, the thing is, again, you have to get a good enough deal on a bad enough car to have room. And very few people understand what wholesale is much less what proper wholesale on a car with likely needs is. And so, I mean, I have bought a lot of cars for 30 to 40 cents on the retail dollar that were running and driving cars, but could any moment have been absolutely terrible. I mean, last year I bought a 2013 Gallardo LP550 Spider out of the Virginia State Police impound that had been rattle can painted orange and had the VIN swapped and didn't have a title for 35,000 bucks. And that was enough to get away with it uh but it like being able to number a car like that is really really hard and so all i say is be real 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 careful when you're making your first offer because if anybody else had made their first offer it would have been twice what i paid and then they would have gotten in a bad situation yeah yeah in uh in georgia where you're at is there a difference like in california there's a difference between being a wholesale dealer and being a resale retail dealer uh do you do they have make that distinction in georgia for you 
we do not have brokers licenses or anything other than a used car dealer license and so you can't have a you can't have title reassignment ability without having a full scale dealer's license mm. uh, but, but you can I still mean, but you can still shop at the auctions um yeah but i just use other people's dealers accounts to buy oh. like oh, it's, okay. it's it's not it, in in georgia it is uh, it's really not economical for somebody who doesn't want the day-to-day task of buying and selling cars to have a dealer's license because the cost you know it's probably five six thousand dollars a year yeah. by the time you're done and I, I don't need that. I just maintain trade credits. But what I mean with like people don't know what wholesale means is that people don't know how much delta there has to be between an anticipated selling price and what a dealer can justifiably pay for something in order to know that after the interest they're going to pay and they have to turn it in 90 days, that they can have a profit at the end of the day. Right, right, right. Uh, let's see. Sanju says, Ed, how do I find the owner of a car? There's an E46 M3 parked in a condo parking near where I park for my commute. I checked the registration. It was last registered in 2020. I ran the VIN wiki and Carfax, and it confirms the last record was from 2020. It indicates it's been sitting, but that's as far as I've gotten. What do I do? Great question. We get a lot of these questions about what can I do about a sitting car? I found an abandoned car. There's a GT3 RS with 90,000 miles that a man's been living out of in uh, Baltimore area that I've been trying to do the same thing with. Uh, the best way to do it without doing anything illegal is to look on uh, the service history and call the dealer that has serviced the car that will be reporting to Carfax and ask that dealer to pass along your number to the owner. That is, that's a a good piece of advice. Yeah. If you're not going to talk a DMV person into, you know, giving you information they're not supposed to, or, you know, do anything else, that's, that's the best way to go about it. That works. Uh, Dre in Houston says, Ed, any Porsches on your horizon? I saw two Cayennes in your driveway. I love Cayennes. The best car Porsche ever made, in my opinion. That isn't a a strawberry colored car. Uh, I love, yeah, I love Cayennes. Uh, I have never been able to fall in love with a 911. I had a, a 993 i had a roof rt12s and i've quickly grown tired of all of them you had an uh, rt12s i did yeah i, wow. I bought one it. just sold uh, on bring a trailer for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars two days ago yeah yeah i was really worried because the one that i sold i sold it through dallas uh jonathan peck at dallas motorsports back in 2017 early probably and i i sold it for one hundred and fifty four thousand dollars uh, and none of them had sold in a very, very long time at that one. There's only six US RT12Ss or RT12s or RT12Ss. But uh, one of them sold on Bring a Trailer uh, a California emissions legal 530 horsepower car rather than a 730 horsepower car uh, for, for 910 last Oof. year. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so mine was coming up for sale at Amelia Island last year. And, you know, mine is the perfect spec, narrow body, small mirror, integrated roll cage, rear wheel drive, tall gears, everything, carbon arrow. And uh, it was also a painted matte black car at a time when they weren't good at doing that. Um, I was just going to do like one, two or something, like that, but it brought about 450 as well. So yeah. um, is that your that, phone uh, buzzing next to your mic? Move your fucking cell phone. It's Sorry. not bothering me, but the audience is going to blame me for it. Oh, this it was, happens it was all Matt's the time. Fault. He told me it's that's a, where I should put it. Get your fucking <laughs> phone off the table. Like, I'm having my phone on the table, guys. Come on. There you um, go. Chris Navio says, why do German manufacturers not use superchargers? He must have forgotten about the Audi S4 and, a, and Q5. 
They do use and, superchargers. And all the 55 motor AMG cars that I love. Yeah, all, every Mercedes with a 55. I'm going to nix your question for factual inaccuracy. Uh, a couple a couple left. Do you have to go ahead? Do you have five minutes? Oh, okay, I'm great. Cool. Go right ahead. Um, all right. Um, uh, Prashan says, Jeremy Clarkson once said, your favorite Lamborghini is the V12 Lambo from when you were six. He's not wrong. I was six in 1987, and my car is a 1988 uh, Countach. So that was uh, very, very good. Um, how uh, how does the Mercy experience hold up in 2023? I feel the design has aged beautifully. Well, we covered this uh, quite a bit. I think six-speed cars have, are, are permanent. They always yep. are. Um, E-gear, first-gen Mercy's not uh, the best. I mean, relative to what else you could buy for the money, I would still enjoy the car an awful lot. But I would say, yeah, the, the the driving experience holds up just because it makes any drive so special. And I mean, you can go out and go 200 miles an hour on a highway if you want to. I mean, they're they're plenty fast. They're pl- they sound better than anything today. And uh, I I don't know. I guess I, I drink the Kool Aid pretty hard, but I serve it too. Yeah, and and I, the styling has aged very beautifully. No matter which generation of car you're you're talking about, the interiors are really cool. They're neat cars. I mean, they're they're they are an experience, um, more so than an Aventador, for sure. Yeah. Um, and they're much much more reliable than Diablos. Correct. Um, I fucking love Diablos, but man, are they a pain in the dick. Um, you good luck even finding someone to work on one. They're really hard. You'll find someone to work on a Countach or a Mura before you'll find someone to work on a Diablo. Um, yeah, they're they're tough. And, you know, fortunately, we're learning how rare they are. I've done a lot of research with the factory on that in the last couple of months, and we've just learned how phenomenally rare every variant of the car is. Early um, Diablos are still underpriced. They're undervalued, yeah. I think. Yeah, one no sale on collecting cars yesterday for a buck and a quarter or so, but it was in the Middle East. But it was, you know, at this age, it could go anywhere. Um, but yeah, the the idea, uh, you know, two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars for one of those cars for what it stands for at Cars and Coffee and what it means to so many people who were six back then uh, is, you know, it's meaningful for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see, we covered. Uh, Tyler B says, Ed, what car that you've owned do you most regret selling and why? Hmm. Good question. I had a manual transmission Euro 360 Spider that was, uh, had a great tubey exhaust on it, and I had a blast in that car. I sold it about 60,000 miles, just rock chips as it could be. Uh, that's probably the only one that I really, really miss. Uh, having the Paris Hilton SLR was probably the car that every non car loving friend loved the most. Those cars suck. I don't well, like they, those cars they're, at all. They're they widely varied. A, a lot of them do. That one drove really, really well. The brakes on many of them are really bad. Yeah. Um, it had about twenty six thousand miles on it, and it uh, it drove well. I mean, I the the brakes. The one we used to rent them shits out at Gotham. We had two SLRs. We would rent out. The brakes were fucking horrible. That famous uh, me and Ferretti. Uh, first to get a speeding ticket challenge. I was driving the rental SLR, and it was a piece of junk. I Bad fucking transmission. Hate. I hated diff. it. We had Gordon Murray on the podcast, and he thought it sucked too. That was, that was a really interesting <laughs> conversation. It was. Yeah, that's um, worth a listen. If you happen to be stuck with one of those, um, our friends down at uh, 
uh, Rentech in Florida have a brake upgrade package for the SLR oh. that is apparently very good. Um, Interesting. Yeah, Hartmut down at Rentech. I fucking love that guy. They probably put a yes. diff in it too. Yeah, and and I hated those cars, but for an, as a non-car person's car, it's def. I, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. So um, I had a lot of fun in it, but uh, yeah, that's. Did you come up on that one? one? You get money out of uh, that one? A lot. Yeah, I took it from a marketplace that that's called an arbitrage, where somebody's marketplace at a Mannheim, Dallas, did not appreciate the Paris Hilton attachment. <laughs> The uh, uh, fan in uh, Bosnia that bought it uh, loves it. Bosnia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Bolian pump and dump. Very That's good. It. Don't clean uh, the seat. I want to smell it. Uh, let's Every see. single prospective buyer said that. Yeah. Sean Gallagher says, uh, would a 911 Carrera 4 be realistic as a daily year-round car with our winters? Fuck yeah, dude. Put snow. Get a set of snow tires. Yep. Yeah, a, 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 an all-wheel drive Porsche with snow tires is such a beast. So good and so much fun in the bad weather. They're the best. Um, last question. Alan Johnson says, do we think the recent batch of hot hatches, Civic Type R, GR Corolla, and Golf R will have long-standing value among enthusiasts down the road? That's hard to say. You know, in general, the initial depreciation narrows the gap. So, you know, I love buying AMG spec Mercedes at, when they're five years old. So they're one year out of warranty because at that point, like my wife's GL63 was barely any more than a GL550. All right. So that but then the next five years is very inexpensive because there will be a very long term enthusiast premium on the cars but the midterm is nothing. And right. so I think that's generally the economics of how it works. Right, right. So like what you see, you see them depreciate sort of just like regular cars for a while, and then they kind of hit this floor and they sort of stay there for another five or six years before the, the, the problem with hot hatches is it, it takes only the really, really mint ones are like investment grade. And who wants to buy a fucking Subaru or a, a Golf as an investment car? You know, for if, if what you want is an investment car, the long-term investment car, you can buy something that's way further down that curve now, is more special, more interesting, cooler on the weekends. You know, buying a brand new car and going, well, I need to use it as a car, but I also want to hang on to it for long enough where it becomes investment grade. You've got you've got competing axes axes there, right? Yes. Um, and the amount of time that's going to have to pass, most likely, right. for that car to depreciate then rise, yeah. is probably going to be decades unless yeah. some big changes happen. Like, like we just saw, I just saw yesterday or the day before, uh, a Hawkeye WRX, uh, STI, Hawkeye STI. It had like 4,000 miles on it. You can you just pull up, bring a trailer, because mm -hmm. I want to get it right. It was low miles, under 10,000 miles on a 15-year-old STI, and it sold for basically what that car would have gone for new with some inflation. So so you you'd have to keep this thing, not drive it very much, keep it really nice, but insure it, pay the interest on your loan, but treat it like it's a real collectible 
Meanwhile, you're you're driving a car that's like nothing wrong with an STI, like it's fine, but like it's a regular car pretty much, you know? So that's the problem with those types of brand new uh, investment. What, what do we got there? 30, go down. It was the white one. Yeah. So t- uh, 20, oh, the, oh wow, uh, 20,000 miles. Sorry, I was a little off there. Here's a 19,000 mile one for 45,000. So just to, just to keep up with the, the MSRP plus inflation, you have to really treat this thing like a collectible. When it's well, not inflation and time value of money are not the same things, especially Correct. in that car's lifetime. So, I mean, for a decade, the market returned 13 percent. That's quadrupling in value. So it's not a break even proposition. It is a the goal should always be minimizing ownership cost. And you can do that in many cases with the enthusiast spec car. But the reality is that most enthusiasts are bad with money and we can't afford brand new cars. And so we have to wait for them to depreciate and buy them. And the only hope for them to become appreciating at that point is if few enough people were actually qualified and able to buy them new, that the later demand can cause upward mobility. Right. If you if you are buying a new hot hatch, that you're not going to like this. Your best bet for ma- protecting your investment is to leave it fucking stock. That's it. It's. Well, I know it's hard, and I and I don't do it myself. You want the best advice I tell other people and don't listen to? Leave it stock. <laughs> you know, every one of these cars, you know, that brings big money on the auctions down the road, it's because there are so few stock ones left. Even if those cars had a hundred thousand miles on them or more, if there's if it a stock STI that's fifteen years old is worth money. Look at the two forty SXs. Yeah, stock ones were like, oh my god, no one's drifted it or slid it into anything <laughs> yeah. or or dropped it yet. Like, yes. that's fifteen yes. grand for this thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's uh, that's it from the Patreon. Thank you all for your questions. We appreciate every one of you. Of course, patreoncom slash Podcast if you want to get in on that game. Ed Bolian. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thank your you time. Thank you for having me. Always um, a pleasure. I know you don't come out to the West Side very often, but when you do, make sure you stop by and see us in the studio. Maybe Let's Zach do can do some stories for you. That'd be great. And, uh, of course, uh, VinWiki YouTube channel. Uh, VinWiki on all the, the social medias. Uh, Car Trek 9 and 10 are out now, the Christmas special, uh, which are on Freddy's channel, right, on the Tavares channel. That's right. Yep. And uh, of course, uh, Ed Bolian on Instagram. No punctuations, no funny business. Just straight up scamming people out of shitty cars. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, That's it. it. (laughs) Thanks for your time, Ed. Uh, Tell all the Atlanta people I said hello. Will do. Y'all have a great afternoon. Happy New Year. For the rest of y'alls, we are back tomorrow afternoon with Mitch McKee of M Engineering. We have heard so much about this guy's tuning ability, and he's going to be here in studio. He's coming in from, I believe, Arizona to join us in person. Uh, Very excited to talk to him. If you're a patron, make sure you get on those questions because we will be talking about tuning with Mitch McKee of M Engineering on the Smoke and Tire podcast. Have a good rest of your day, guys. R.I.P. Ken Block the fucking legend um i know this will be out for most people long after um the initial shock has moved on but it was great to talk to ed about some of our memories of ken today and and uh mad respect and wishes to his family and his team uh in this time bye everyone we'll see you next time